appreciate it. Notice I had to vamp there a lot because I had all those political questions I couldn't <laughs> ask. That does it for us tonight. Banfield starts now. <laughs> It's Monday. It's really good to have you. And I'm just going to go right to breaking news because it's not often at 10 o'clock Eastern there's like a manhunt fully underway, but there is a manhunt. And the guy they're manhunting is uh, bad news, uh, like super dangerous, super dangerous. When I say that, it's not hyperbole. He may be smiling in this picture, but if this is the guy, if they've got the right guy, uh, he's responsible for seven murders over the course of two days in two homes. And one guy could have been the eighth, but he survived. Talk about a witness. Guy who got a shot to the leg, survived. Everyone else did not. There are so many questions about who it was he allegedly shot. Are they families? Are they friends? Somehow, everyone's connected through him, but the victims from yesterday are not connected to the victims from today. It is super hinky, and the mysterious nature of what went on over the course of the last two days is, uh, for whatever reason, the police are not telling us. In fact, it was so weird, they wouldn't even tell us how many were dead. We're going to go to a live report in a few minutes. Uh, it's just in the outskirts of Chicago, but the guy is considered so armed and dangerous, police are putting out not only the bolo to be on the lookout, but be on the get the hell out. Don't get near this guy. But they're, I'm going to show you the car. I'm going to show you everything so that if you're in any area nearby, you, you can help the police. Let's get this guy because this is awful. This is a killing spree that could continue, may even be continuing right now. Uh, God, I hope not. Also, speaking of killing, uh, you know, sometimes we're in the business of killing. We, the people. And you might have your opinions about death penalty, and this is not a show about opinion on the death penalty. That's not what this is about. What I am about to talk to you about is some Frankenstonian stuff. Like, we're about to kill someone a whole new way. And I am fascinated with the mechanics of how it works. There's a guy who's about to get strapped to a gurney in a matter of days, and they're going to put a mask on his face, and then they're going to just inject a whole bunch of not oxygen at him. Smiling there, no reason to, because he killed a woman, real mean, and uh, we're going to do it back to him. So many questions. Should we be using people as guinea pigs? Because we ain't never done this before. And is it painful? Is it suffocation? Is it all those buzzwords, cruel and unusual? Because that's the whole constitutional part of it, right? Going to talk about that. And by the way, just, just FYI. He's had a last meal before. I'm going to tell you that. It has nothing to do with his execution coming up. He has been at this rodeo before. Lots to talk about there. Then there's this Kansas City. Did you watch the game last night? I don't like football, but I watched the whole Kansas City game against the Buffalo Bills. My husband loves Buffalo Bills. Um, and all I kept thinking about was the Kansas City mystery. Like what happened in Missouri a week ago, the last Kansas City Chiefs big game, when three fans, all in their young, early 30s and 20s, died in a backyard of another fan's house and they were over watching football. All I kept thinking about when I was watching football last night at my friend's house, don't go outside. Um, the mystery deepens. But guess who I have on the show tonight? 
The homeowner who nobody's heard from, who everybody suspects and everybody's freaking out over, yet the police aren't, his lawyer is on the show with me today. He's going to answer a whole bunch of questions. I have so many. I know you do, too, so I'm on your side here. Let's start with the breaking news, though. This huge manhunt that's going on outside of Chicago. Nine people shot, eight people killed, one person who's probably never going to be the same with a bullet to the leg. That guy, smiling. This is 23-year-old Romeo Nance. He is six foot two, 160 pounds, so he's a skinny, skinny, skinny fella. But easy to spot, 6'2". Wow, 6'2", 160. They think he is driving a Toyota Camry. That's the picture. It is red. Can't really tell in that shot. You can see how snowy it is. But this is a real picture. And so a red Toyota Camry. And we have a license plate, which helps immensely. So either take a picture right now, or I think we might have it on the banner soon, or just, like, DVR this. Q73. 0412. Q730412. Person who's driving that vehicle is considered very dangerous. Don't go near. Call the police right away. As if it weren't enough that they're, they suspect he just tried to kill nine people and, and finished off eight. A year ago, just January of 2023, he was indicted for another four violent gun-related crimes. Here they are, aggravated discharge of a firearm, aggravated assault, aggravated unlawful use of a weapon, and reckless discharge of a firearm. Let's talk about the victims who died in the spree killings today and yesterday. Seven of the bodies were discovered earlier today in two separate homes in Joliet. That's a suburb about an hour outside Chicago. Uh, One of the victims was found in another home on Sunday, not far away from today's crime scene. Both of the homes are located on the same block of a street called West Acres Road. Something's going on in West Acres. A year ago, this is the connection we think, a year ago, when the suspect was arrested on those violent gun charges I just listed, he was bailed out by his sister. Can you guess where his sister was living? Um, at an address on West Acres Road. That's where the bloodbath happened uh, today and yesterday. So police have not yet released any information about the victims, but we did learn this from a detective and from two witnesses. I've been a policeman 29 years. Uh, This is probably the worst crime scene I've ever been associated with. Well, it's just shocking. You know, I, I'm concerned, like, do I do I know anybody? Like, are these people that I know? Are these people that I care about? You know, and so that's a thing of concern for me. I'm shocked that it's, like, something that's happening this close because you know that it, it happens, but just that it happens so close to you. It's very worrisome. There's somebody that I'm trying to get a hold of that does hang around this area that I have not been able to reach. Um, who's a family member, and um, it's it's frightening that this is so close to home. I literally live, like, probably four houses down. So the two other victims yesterday were shot in different locations in and around Joliet. Uh, The first one was a 28-year-old man from Nigeria who had only been here in the United States for about three years. Police say that he'd been shot in the head. He was declared dead at the hospital. Then there was the other shooting yesterday. It it happened about 10 minutes 
before that, that guy from Nigeria. And that victim was the one who was shot in the leg and is expected to, to live. But you can see the map there. It's 35 miles between Chicago and, and, and Joliet. Neither of yesterday's victims is believed to be connected to each other or to the seven bodies that were found today. But the police do say that the shootings themselves are related. So there's a mystery. Um, that might actually be why the police um, suspect that Nance was responsible for all of the killings together and that they all might be connected to him. But I want to go to Jenna Barnes because she's a reporter with uh, WGN and she's live on the scene. I'm thoroughly confused about the connections or lack thereof between all these crime scenes. Are we any clearer tonight from the police, Jenna, as to who he is, first of all, who this man is on our screen and, you know, Romeo Nance and, and who he, you know, is and was to the victims? Police tonight are saying he did know the victims, Ashley, and they say that the seven victims here on West Acres were in the neighborhood uh, of those two houses. They were all related to each other. It doesn't appear that they were related to the two victims from yesterday, though, and they haven't said whether these victims are, in fact, related to the suspect. So there are still a lot of questions, but police tonight are saying it appears at least the suspect did know these victims in some capacity. Okay, so I'm super confused about West Acres Road as well, because it looks like uh, two of the crime scenes are separated, but they're on that same street. Then there's an apartment that's not that far away. What is the story with West Acres Road, and what do you know about that, that area, Jenna? Is it, I mean, are they all shocked, or do they have lots of crime in that area? Like, what's the story there? Neighbors are telling us they are stunned by this. It seems, you know, by all accounts to be a pretty quiet neighborhood. They were telling us, you know, kids are getting off the school bus this afternoon. Neighbors are checking on neighbors. They're coming to see what this is all about. So the story here on West Acres Road is this is just a, a residential neighborhood. Uh, there, there are these two houses involved and victims in both houses who apparently were all related to one another. Uh, so some family living in two houses on this street in an otherwise pretty quiet neighborhood uh, until this discovery today. Then, of course, there's the connection to the sister who bailed him out last year. And that was not cheap. You know, that was, I think, $100,000 bail. And, and she lives on West Acres. Is the, you know, is the hubbub around that community that, that she is one of the victims in one of those homes and that whomever is with her in that home is also sort of a, a larger extended family? It's possible, although police are not connecting those dots just yet. It's important to note, though, they did say the suspect's last known address is one of the houses here that's involved. That's why they were here staking out the house after yesterday's crimes, and that's what led them to the discovery here. So they are not connecting the dots, uh, but we do know his last known address was here and his sister's address we know was here. Jenna, one last quick question, and that is this. They say he's armed and dangerous, and if this is the right guy, this is a man who just tried to murder eight people and was successful, sorry, nine people and was successful with, with eight. But then there's also that story that they may have been related to him. Is he considered dangerous to any specific people or communities now? Or do they think he's just desperate and he needs to stay hidden and he'll kill anybody in his path to do that? Police are warning everyone to be vigilant, to be careful. They're asking for the public's help to find him if they see him, if they see that Toyota Camry. They want everybody to call 911, but they're asking everyone to stay safe, don't approach him, let the police do their work. 
Yeah, I, that's right at, at the very least. Uh, Jenna Barnes, just break in and let us know what you hear from out there on the scene. We'll be on for another, you know, 50 minutes. So we'll come back to you as, uh, as warranted. And thank you for that. I appreciate you jumping in last minute. I want to now bring in John Muffler. He's a former U.S. Marshal and principal of the um, Equitas Global, Global Security. So, John, that last question that, that I just asked um, of Jenna Barnes out on the scene, is someone with this M.O., you know, allegedly killing families and connections to him. Does he continue to be a danger to the rest of us as a spree killer, or does he continue to be a danger to whomever uh, he needs something from in order to stay alive and stay hidden? Thanks for having me back on. So he's not, what we know is he's not turning himself in uh, right now, as we know that, right? And so he's suspected in these murders uh, from what I'm gathering, and he has a past history uh, that's that's violent. So um, obviously, um, you want to take any precaution you possibly can if you see that individual. So I, you know, obviously, he would be considered a risk, although he's not directly named at this point uh, with those homicides. Um, that being said, there's still a degree of, of dangerousness you're dealing with here. A desperate person that appears to be on the run. So. Yeah, and so I would assume, you know, anybody within a couple hundred miles of Chicago has got to be concerned that this guy is out there. And again, this is not just someone who shot a few people. He, he allegedly shot nine and killed eight, all within 24 to 48 hours. That is massive. That is an extraordinarily dangerous spree killer. But apart from that, what are police doing right now? to actually track him. I mean, there's only so many cameras you can check as you start to go out in a radius looking for this guy. Yeah, you'd be surprised. And, you know, you and I had a lot of conversations over the summer into September with the Cavalcanti case in southeastern Pennsylvania. And one of the key uh, uh, pieces of technology that was used to discover the van that he had stolen was uh, license plate readers. And that's one of the uh, tools that used to capture that image you showed earlier. So the license plate readers or the LPRs, they're all over the highways. So that's going to help law enforcement. And with the Cavalcante case, there are telematics in newer vehicles. And basically, in a layman's term, because I'm a layman, they, they're basically, that vehicle is talking to cell towers. And so there's GPS. So you'll be able to pinpoint vehicles. That vehicle looks relatively new, I can't really tell because it's covered in dirt, but um, that vehicle may be uh, communicating through its telematics to cell towers. So you'd be able to pinpoint a, a location, almost the exact location, just in that, that past case we talked about a few months ago. So that's going to be a big help in identifying the vehicle. John, I expect, I'm looking at that picture, and he's got, um, he's got braids, right? But it looks like his braids have been slept on a while, and I wonder if the marshals and those who are tracking him would consider creating a picture of him with long hair. I don't know if he's shaved his head. I don't know if he undoes the braids and has an extraordinarily long hairdo, but it would certainly change up his look a lot and be very helpful, helpful for people who are trying to spot this guy. Yeah, he's tall. He's 6'2", so you can't, you know, hide your height. Um, that's above average height. And, you know, that looks like a picture from his maybe mugshot from his last arrest or the rest we we're talking about. So, um, you know, those are things that can make it a little easier to identify uh, someone uh, like that. I mean, he's 6'2 and skinny. 
62160. So again, those are those are really noticeable um, attributes, you know, when you have characteristics like that. So, all right, John, I'm going to zip off to some other coverage, but will you also do as like Jenna Barnes did and, and just stay with us in case there's another break and we're going to cover this for the next hour as well? Sure, no problem. Thank you. John Muffler, as always, so helpful, former U.S. Marshal. Um, he's been to this rodeo before, so he knows what's going on. He knows what we're looking for. And like I said, we're monitoring it live. We're on the ground uh, in Chicago. I mean, eight people dead. Nine people shot. Uh, this is serious. 23-year-old black male, Romeo Nance, license plate Q730412. License plate readers could be our very, very good friend. Still to come, mystery on top of mystery. What killed those three friends in Kansas City, and why did it take two days to find their frozen bodies right on the porch and the backyard? Could they really have frozen to death right outside where they had just watched a football game inside? Tonight, the owner of that home says, guess what? He's just as mystified as the rest of us, and his lawyer is with me live next. Full-blown mystery icing over Kansas City, Missouri tonight. And it is not whether the Chiefs are going to advance to the AFC Championship game. Instead, it's why there were three fewer fans cheering for their team during yesterday's nail-biter. We started reporting on this story when it broke last week. Three young men found dead outside of the home where they just all gathered to watch the Chiefs play that football game Sunday, January 7th. Those men weren't found dead right away, like not Sunday night, not Monday morning, not Monday afternoon. It actually took two days, which is why the headlines really started buzzing. It wasn't until one man's fiance decided to go looking after she hadn't heard from him for that long. She found one body on the back porch. Police later found two more in the backyard. And here's where it gets even more weird. Police say there were no signs of foul play, and it's been speculated the men simply froze to death out there. But their families are saying, no way, we don't buy it. Here is what one victim's brother told News Nation. I don't like to speculate very much. I like to deal with facts. Um, but, you know, my brother was a smart man, and there's no way that he would, um, you know, there's, it's just freezing to death is not a cause of death that I would accept. Um, not for three grown men that were inseparable, that looked after each other. There's, there's just no way. Police say that they won't know the causes of death of those three until they get all the toxicology reports back, and that usually takes a couple weeks. As for the owner of the home where all of this happened, he is said to be cooperating with the investigators, but claims that he doesn't know a whole lot. His name is Jordan Willis, and he was supposedly home the whole time and completely unaware that anyone had died in his backyard or his back porch, or that anyone was even looking for those men even though that woman broke in through one of his windows to search for her fiancé. Jordan Willis's attorney put out this statement. Jordan had absolutely nothing to do with their deaths. He does not know the timing or manner of their deaths, nor does he know how or when they exited his house. He had no knowledge that they remained in his backyard or that they needed medical attention. He had known, had he known, he certainly would have called for help. The last time he saw them was when they left his house and he went to bed. And that attorney for Jordan Willis joins me now. It's John Paserno. Thank you so much, John, for being on the program. First and foremost, 
your client, Jordan Willis, is he free and clear tonight or is he still facing some kind of potential criminal exposure? There was never any uh, criminal charges. There is no case. Uh, the police have stated that this is not a homicide investigation and they do not suspect foul play. So he, he could do an interview. You, you'd be fine with him doing a TV interview because you, you now feel confident he has no concerns ahead of him. He could do an interview if he chose to, um, as I advised him, as I advise all my clients, um, that he shouldn't say anything at this time until the investigation has been concluded. I'm so curious about what could have possibly happened, as are so many people watching right now, as I'm sure you are, and potentially even. Do you know from speaking to your client, were there drugs involved with the party, uh, the football watching party that night? There are uh, some things I'm not going to be allowed to comment on based on confidentiality uh, reasons. There were, uh, in addition to the three gentlemen that uh, are deceased. In addition to Jordan, there was one other individual that was present in the home. And um, I'm not going to comment on anything about the activities that were going on there other than the fact that they were there and they were socializing after the Chiefs game. It's interesting, though, that you would bring up um, that there was another person there other than the, the three who died, the owner of the home, and then this mystery man after the question I asked about drugs. Is there a reason for that? No, um, just in fact, I learned uh, a little bit more about this other individual today. And I, I also uh, it's my understanding that he spoke with police as well and that he supported uh, what Jordan told law enforcement uh, and what we believe actually was going on at the time. Has that fourth man and Jordan, have they spoken together since this tragedy unfolded? I don't believe that they have. And yet. It's your understanding that this fourth mystery person, whose name I hope will surface soon, uh, his account of what happened that night uh, is directly in correlation with, with Jordan's account. Sure, and he's not a mystery person. He's one of the group of friends that they watch the game with. He's known to everybody. He's known to law enforcement. Um, so he's not a mystery person. He's somebody there. Um, and essentially, from my understanding, everything that he told the police is in line with what Jordan told the police, even though they were uh, interviewed separately. I'm so glad he's not a mystery person. What's his name? I'm, I'm not going to uh, provide his name. Um, if and when he chooses to uh, go public and say his name, then um, he can do that. He's not my client. I don't represent him. I don't feel comfortable uh, doing that. Okay, I understand. Did your client ever leave the home from Sunday night and the football game until uh, Tuesday when they discovered the bodies in his backyard? Did he ever leave and go outside the home? Uh, no, I don't believe that he did. Um, he's self-employed. He works out of his home. Um, he stayed in the home the entire time from, uh, you know, the basic scenario is they had watched the Chiefs game in a couple of different places. They went back to his place, uh, his home afterwards uh, to play some video games and hang out. And at some point during that process, he got tired and he fell asleep. Um, before he fell asleep, they were going to leave. Um, he actually escorted them to the door, said their goodbyes, opened the door. He went back on the couch and he crashed. Um, and then, then when he woke up, they were gone. And during the, the day and a half to, that that occurred, two days, I guess, because the police came at around 10 o'clock on Tuesday to his house, uh, he was doing the things that he normally does inside of his home um, and that he was sleeping, so, he was eating, so and he just, was working. Can I back up? Yeah, can I back up for a moment there? Are you saying that your client, Jordan Willis, escorted the three victims to the door. He showed them to the door. 
Did they uh, walk out it, the It's door? not that formal, Ashley. He didn't escort them. They're his friends. Okay. They've been together all day. They're leaving the house. You know, they're guys. They shake hands. They hug. See you later, bro. Whatever they did. Um, but he, he left them as they were leaving the home. It's not unusual uh, for him and his friends to, to spend time in each other's homes. It's not unusual for them to hang out when the other person isn't there even. Uh, and in this case, he was there. So for whatever reason, they either came back in the home or they went directly to the backyard. That part, no one knows the answer to. Uh, Jordan believes they came back in the house and hung out for a while and continued to play uh, video games. And at some point, uh, they went outside in the backyard. But to be clear, they left, those three men left the house. Jordan saw them leave the house. He said goodbye to them. He laid down and he crashed and they let, went out the front door. Yes. They went out the front door. He, he witnessed them leaving the front door of his house. Sure. Yeah. After he said goodbye to them, he was hanging out. He went back on the couch and he slept. So at some point they decided to either come back inside the house and hang out for a while or uh, they went out uh, on the backyard and hung out, which Due to the cold temperatures, I don't believe that's the case. I, I think they probably came back inside and continued to play video games and hang out for a while before they left. Can you just tell me if there's anything in the backyard of interest? Is there a fire pit? Is there something? Is there a barbecue? Is there something of interest in the backyard that would have drawn them to go there? You know, I don't know what's in the backyard. I only, I've never been to the house. What I know is what you know from these pictures here. Um, it was a really cold night, so I doubt that anybody would be out there socializing. You know, typically when guys are hanging out or people are hanging out at the house, people will go outside uh, randomly to uh, smoke or do whatever, get some fresh air, and then come back in. Um, other than that, I, you know, I can't speculate about what else was going on out there. So fascinating. John Paserno, I hope you'll come back. And can you just formally put a request into your client, Jordan Willis, that we'd really like to interview with him when he's ready? Sure. And, you know... Uh, he's as much in the dark as you are and as I am, and we all want answers to find out what happened to these lifelong two of them he went to high school with. So he's known them for over 20 years. Um, they're his friends. Um, he's deeply hurt by, by their passing, and, and he wants answers as much as everyone does. It's heartbreaking for these three families as well. I really appreciate you talking to me tonight. Thank you, John. Okay. All right. Thank you, Ashley. Bye-bye. Coming up next, um, these are the final days for a convicted murderer on Alabama's death row. At least we, we think so. He is scheduled for execution in just two days, but this execution is different. The argument is not only why Kenneth Eugene Smith is being put to death, but it's, it's how. It's a method that is brand spanking new, experimental. And the executioners really aren't even sure if it's gonna work. Think of this as Frankenstein meets dead man walking. And no matter how you feel about condemned killers, the question is, should we really be in the business of testing it on real people? Details are next. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, and Alexa. Dead man walking. 
dramatic stuff, okay? Because this is Hollywood's version of capital punishment. Uh, Dead Man Walking, that's Susan Sarandon playing Sister Helen Prejohn, walking Sean Penn, the condemned inmate, all the way to the death chamber, and woof, it was powerful. I actually fainted. Long story, it's for another time. Um, This week, something kind of similar is about to play out in Alabama. Kenneth Eugene Smith is headed to the death chamber, but there is no movie, there's no script, there's no book, there's no podcast that could prepare him for what he's about to face because what we're about to do to Kenneth, we ain't never done before. We're going to try a brand new way of killing a man. Now, I am no fan of Kenneth. He's just two years older than I am, but he's been in prison for almost my entire career. 35 years for him, 36 years for me. Uh, This is because in 1988, the year I graduated from college, he decided to stab an innocent woman to death. So he murdered her, and then he sent her family into a tailspin for life. And he's scheduled to die in two days because of it. Full weight of the law has finally caught up with him. D-Day, that's death day for Kenneth, is sometime after 12 a.m. this Thursday, local time, Alabama. But he's not going to die by lethal injection or the electric chair or the firing squad. That is old school. Instead, they're trying nitrogen hypoxia. Quite a sound. And if all goes according to plan, Smith is going to be fitted with a mask and he's going to be forced to breathe pure nitrogen until he suffocates and dies. Some people argue with the suffocation, but that's what it is. No oxygen. The prosecutors argue that this is a painless way to go, that Smith will be unconscious in seconds and then dead within minutes. The opponents, including the UN Human Rights Council, say this amounts to torture and that Alabama is using a man as a test subject, basically a human guinea pig. And there's something else here, and it's pretty big. Kenneth has been fed a last meal before. He has been a dead man walking before, all the way to the gurney. Because 14 months ago, his execution date arrived. It was a planned lethal injection. He had his final family visit. His meal of choice was catfish and a baked potato and coleslaw. But his executioners couldn't manage to find the two veins to start the IV, so they called it off after four hours of prodding on the gurney. Imagine live man walking the other way. I want to bring in Joseph Scott Morgan. He's a certified death investigator, professor of forensics at Jacksonville State University, because I need to know what the mechanics of hydrogen or nitrogen hypoxia mean to a man. So walk me through it best you can, because I, I know we don't have the data. We don't have the, you know, the experiments to prove it. But what do we expect? How does this work? Well, it's, it's simply replacement of the oxygen in this man's system with nitrogen gas, and it will be pumped into him, as you said. Uh, the, the curious thing, though, uh, Ash, is the fact that we don't really understand the mechanism, the mask that he's going to be fitted with. Some have kind of postulated that it might look something similar to what you might see a firefighter wear that is kind of all-encompassing. The trick is, how are they going to get this thing to seal? And so that he is truly breathing pure nitrogen gas at that moment in time. And again, there is no data to take a measure relative to the effectiveness of this. Now, OSHA has got data out there relative to accidents. uh, And uh, in veterinarian medicine, it has been tried with pigs, I think. So, but we're really left in a lurch here, scratching our heads. 
So I've heard people say, my God, this is basically suffocation because without oxygen, you're, you know, breathing heavier and desperately trying to get more and more air with oxygen and there ain't none. But I've heard other people say the opposite, that the anxiety over suffocating does not exist with this because the expelling of CO2 is happening. You're still expelling your CO2. Therefore, it's actually a relaxed way of dying. And I've even heard some people go so far as to say this is the preferred method of assisted suicide for, for a lot of people who want to die, you know, anxiety-less. Is there some truth to, to either side of that? I think that there is. I've worked several cases of final exit cases, uh, famously uh, from the book, uh, where they, you know, I don't want to really go into this, but they talk about replacement with helium. And uh, that was made very famous many years ago. So this is not the first time down this road relative to this idea. It's just that it's never been tried by the state. Uh, and certain organizations in Europe that talk about self-deliverance, self-assisted suicide, as they, as they term it, uh, they've talked about utilizing this methodology with nitrogen as well. So we'll see. We'll see after the 25th, Act. Well, I'm going to see before that because I don't think it's going to happen. I just think if he got a reprieve last yeah. time, I feel like yeah. this is one of those moments where there could be easily the phone call saying, oh, lucky day, yeah. unlucky day that turned into a, a lucky day. Mental, imagine the mental anguish, though, right, uh, going through this twice if, if it does happen. The anxiety happen. leading Joe Scott, up to I'm it. Joe I'm calling you. <laughs> oh, all of it. All of it. Yeah. I can't even, you know. Um, but again, it's, this is not to debate. Some people say good, you know. Um, other mm -hmm. people like, are we human? Are we real? Are we right. people? Are we God-fearing? Joseph Scott, I'm going to call you again. Thank you for this. Thank you, Ash. Been almost three decades since Kristen Smart vanished from California Polytechnic State University and was never again seen. And it took almost 25 years to arrest and convict her killer. But her family is still seeking justice. Kristen's murder could have been prevented, they say. And they also say somebody needs to pay because of that and pay big. Their attorney joins me next with the who and with the how much. For short. Uh, but Kristen vanished after an on-campus party. Off-campus. Off-campus party. And no one ever saw her again. And a quarter century later, a fellow student named Paul Flores, wouldn't you know it, arrested, charged, and convicted of first-degree murder. And now he's serving 25 to life. But Kristen's family says Flores is not the only guilty party here. And they are now suing that university, Cal Poly, claiming that the school knew Flores had a history of, quote, threatening and stalking and harassing behavior and should have expelled him long before he could move on to murder. Earlier today, I spoke to the family's attorney, Mark Lewis. Mark, it's such an interesting story, particularly because it's it's three decades after the fact and civil litigation is hard, you know, in contemporary times. Tell me a little bit about the the uphill battle, given so many years have passed and, and the complications of statutes of limitations. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily characterize it as an uphill battle. I would say it's actually quite the opposite. It's it's very clear to us and, and, and our clients that they only found out about this information very recently. And it was, you know, through the university's uh, withholding of information uh, that has led them to the fact that they didn't know about this until, until quite recently. Um, it, it seems as though the university has done everything it could have 
to avoid uh, sharing information with our clients and that um, we're fairly confident a judge is going to find that uh, any statute of limitations argument is frankly invalid. And that's fascinating because if if that does happen, uh, there is this statement on the record from the current um, university president. I think his name is Jeffrey Armstrong. And it says, we recognize that things should have been done differently. And I personally wish that they had, which as a lawyer, I'm sure is music to your ears. But would would a judge look at the contemporaneous president's behavior instead of the current president's acknowledgments um, when factoring in any kind of decision making? Actually, it's a good question. It's first of all, you're absolutely right to hone in on that four component of president mes- the president's message, which was that he wishes things had been done differently. Now, we don't know what information is in his possession that is leading him to express that type of an opinion. Um, it, it is our view that the, the courts will look at what um, is currently in the university's possession and is in their mindset, so to speak, when it comes to uh, deciding any issues on, on statute of limitations. Now, let me say this. The university has every opportunity to do the right thing here, regardless of the statute of limitations. And, you know, it's our hope that the university will do that. You know, they may not seek to uh, orchestrate a statute of limitations defense. Now, of course, you know, as typically happens, you know, a lot of corporate entities and churches and schools um, will rely on a statute of limitations defense rather than simply doing the right thing. But we'd like to give the, the university the opportunity to do what it has never done in this case, which is to take accountability for what happened both to Kristen and to her family. So let me ask you, I only have a few seconds left, but it's important um, regarding stalking and harassment of other girls on campus that are alleged. um, The other families, the other survivors of this behavior, are they A, helpful witnesses to you, and B, are they considering joining in this action? Actually, that's another good question. I can confirm they exist uh, and that, you know, that, that, that um, their allegations are very serious, but I can't comment on uh, the efforts they're taking at this time to join in our fight. You'll have to keep us updated. Um, it's a fascinating case. It's a tragic case. And, you know, our hearts go out to Kristen's family and what they've been through for three decades. Thank you so much, uh, Mark, for, for being on. We really appreciate this. Thank you, Ashley. And my thanks to Mark Lewis for that. Um, there is this wild documentary on Netflix, and I don't know if you've watched it, but I did, and I'm not over it. It's called Love Has Won. It's about uh, a cult who calls their follower Mother God. They, they think God is a woman, and she's that woman. Uh, and they could not let go of her when she unexpectedly died at the age of 45. So instead of letting go of her, they kept her, uh, like her body, as a shrine. And they kept her for weeks, driving her around in a car, wrapping her up in flowers and lights, and it was nuts. It sounds about as culty as you can get, but such things happen in the not-so-culty world as well. Because police have just come upon a scene in Ohio that would make that cult look tame. Guess how long a farmer chose to live with his dead wife? 
and guess how he pulled it off? Details next. A lot of people have trouble filing their taxes. I wonder if I can help. You can help people with low to moderate income file their taxes through the IRS's Volunteer Income Tax Assistance, VITA, or Tax Counseling for the Elderly, TCE, programs. As a volunteer, you'll learn how to prepare individual tax returns, and at the same time, you'll help taxpayers get tax credits and deductions they're entitled to. If you'd like to volunteer, go to irs.gov and type Tax Volunteer in the search field for more details. I'm Scarlett Johansson. My family relied on public assistance to help provide meals for us. These meals fueled my involvement in theater and the arts as a child, which fostered my love for acting. The Feeding America network of food banks helps millions of people put food on the table. You can join the movement to end hunger by donating, volunteering, and advocating. Because when people are fed, futures are nourished. Join the movement to end hunger at feedingamerica.org slash act now. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. This is an important message from the Mine Safety and Health Administration. Mining fatalities, accidents, and injuries are preventable. Taking a minute to approach your task safely can protect you and your fellow miners from injury and death. Staying alert and focused can keep you safe. Do it safe. Do it right. Whether buckling a seatbelt or securing equipment, these quick safety measures can prevent injuries and fatalities. Take time. Save lives. For more resources, visit MSHA.gov. No matter what, people need what you bring them. But sometimes a choice has to be made. You can make a safe one. Always expect a train. Know that trains can run on any track at any time in either direction. Understand that trains are faster and quieter than you think. You can stop track tragedies. Never try to beat a train. You are more important than your packages. See tracks? Think train. For more information, go to oli.org. I just got a text asking me to approve a bank transfer I didn't make. I bet you get messages like this, too. So much of our lives are online today, from email to banking and everything in between. To make sure my information was protected, I checked out CISA's Secure Our World website for simple steps to stay safe online. Now I know how to protect myself from scammers. And you can learn, too. Go to CISA at CISA.gov forward slash Secure Our World. Thanks for listening to News Nation on the go. I'm Ashley Banfield, and this is America's source for engaging and unbiased news. No matter how large or small your digging project may be, no matter how urban or rural, you must always call 811 before any digging project. 811 is our national one-call number, alerting your local utility companies to come out and mark any lines they have near your dig site. So before you do this or this... Make sure you do this. For digging projects big or small, make the call to 811. Brought to you by Common Ground Alliance. Retirement can be scary, but only if you're not prepared. That's why AARP created thisispretirement.org. Because unless you've already retired, you're in pretirement and you still have time to plan. Learn about retirement savings options, potential tax breaks, and how you can build savings over time. Visit thisispretirement.org for free resources to help you customize your action plan and feel the retirement fear disappear. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Every moment counts if you're at risk or living with lung cancer. And anyone with lungs can get lung cancer. It causes more cancer deaths than breast, colon, and prostate combined. 
And while there may be moments where you question your next step, through it all, GoTo for Lung Cancer is here for you. We are your community. For screening, treatment, and survivorship support, GoTo is your go-to. Confronting lung cancer starts here. Visit goto.org. Over the last few years, things have got weird. And for our kids, these things can be overwhelmingly stressful. Scientific research and real-life experience tell us that the number one antidote to stress is authentic, trusted relationships. So that's why I... That's why I... That's why I am committed to building and maintaining a trusted space. This is a trusted space. Access free films and resources to build trusted spaces in your schools and communities at atrustedspace.org. So at first it seemed like it was a routine 911 call. And then the sheriff's deputies got there. And honest to God, it had to be a toss-up, like who they were going to call first, the coroner or hazmat. I want to take you back to December in Salem, Ohio. A farmer there named Robert Ray uh, died peacefully inside his home. Nothing to see there. Natural causes. He was 70. And his body was discovered by his son not too long after his dad died. So the son naturally called the sheriff and told them what happened. Dad's here. He died. But but before the uh, sheriff hung up the phone to head for the farm, the son kind of dropped a bombshell. And in so many words said, be prepared for another body at the scene. He said that his mother um, has also died. And P.S., she's been dead for six years. So when the sheriff arrived, he found the dead farmer in the house. That made sense. But out back, inside the RV, that's where he found the mummified body of the farmer's wife. According to the son... His mom had died back in 2017 at the age of 64, but dad couldn't let go and just kept on living alongside her body in the RV all this time. And according to the sheriff, uh, the farmer had actually been caring for his wife's remains all by himself for the last six years, apparently covering her body in a whole bunch of herbs, wrapping it in a blanket, did not know that worked. Uh, Sheriff said that the woman's remains were like remarkably well preserved for the amount of time that she had been deceased. The son, for his part, explained to the deputies that his parents were devout Quakers. They had hoped that they could be buried together. Newsflash, you can, just at different times. Uh, Police say they're still investigating this case, but they sort of throw their hands up on this one and say that charges are unlikely. I mean, who are you going to charge, right? So I, I get a little programming note here. It's the weirdest thing to end on. Um, I am not going to be here tomorrow, and there's a good reason why. Because the New Hampshire primaries are on tomorrow. So all of my, like, super good friends who are way better at doing politics than I am, because I do murder now, look at that team. Dang, they good looking. That there's Leland Vitter, Chris Cuomo, Dan Abrams, and Elizabeth Vargas. And they're going to do the Decision Desk 24 uh, live coverage special starting at... 7 o'clock Eastern, 6 Central. So make sure you tune in for them. They're going to give you um, moment-to-moment coverage. And by the way, if you haven't seen Chris Steyerwalt do his coverage on News Nation, you are missing out. That dude is smart and funny. I will see you right back here on Wednesday. Thanks for being here tonight. Cuomo's next.
Hey, everybody. I'm Chris Cuomo. It's Monday. We're live. So what do you say? Let's get after it. Tomorrow is the Live Free.